0: The Undrafted free Agent.com Mid-Major Podcast with your host, Chris McKee. There's Samuel with the steal. Get your phones out. Tyree Samuel posterizes Alex Nawaga. Come on now. Lugan's it. Oh my! Brisdekis with another steal, spots up for three this time, and drains it. Ignis Brazdekis. Electric first step. Blows by everyone. Kobe Elvis. He's got them all shook up, Keyshawn for three, and there it is, Keyshawn Bartholomew, you don't want to let him heat up, all day, Kyler Filowich, they can't stop him, Moncrief, sneaks in the back door, hammers it down, Matthew Alexander Moncrief, ooh. Welcome UndraftedFreeAgent.com, it Major podcast, I'm your host Chris McKee, Today, we have another special edition of the podcast. I have an exclusive interview with South Alabama head coach Richie Riley. South Alabama in the Sun Belt. They are 17-8 and 8 overall, 7-5 and 5 in conference, currently 4th in the conference. But, I mean, the Sun Belt, one of, if not the most wide-open conferences in all of college basketball, so anyone's guess who's going to win the Sun Belt but um, I've had the chance to chat with Richie a number of times over the years you'll hear as uh, we head into the pod that uh, I first reached out to him when he was the head coach at Nickel State I might have been the first national interview he did and so him and I have always checked in at least once or twice a year to do the interview always grateful for his time so check this out Richie Riley head coach South Alabama he's been the head coach at South Alabama since 2018 with a record of 71 and 47 back in 2017-18 he led Nickel State to their first regular season conference title in 20 years. South Alabama is currently 17 and eight on the season. I'm joined by London, Kentucky's finest, Richie Riley.
1: It's a pleasure to be on, man. You, um, when I, I remember when I became a head coach at Nichols, you were always a guy that showed genuine interest in our program when not a lot of people even knew, knew who we were. And I always appreciated that. And um, you gave us some great coverage and we, we had some good times talking back in those days of, of how we we're going to figure it all out and build a program. Awesome. I really appreciate that. So it's
0: funny, you know, because of that relationship, I always tune in whenever you're coaching and I'm watching you guys against Troy a couple of weeks ago and I'm looking at the TV and I honestly thought I'm like, Richie looks 10 years younger now. Than he did a couple of years ago, which is funny because most head coaches look ten years older. So, what's this? What's your secret to kind of staying young and healthy and, need, and fit?
1: I need to record you saying that so I can show it to my wife and 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 anybody else because I um I, I feel I feel a lot older to be honest. Being a head coach, moving over that that one seat is is dramatically different the pressure that it puts on you, the um, just everything that goes with it. It's it's really hard. So I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I try to um, try to stay in the best shape that I can, but it, my, my body may look okay, but my mind and the wear and tear it's taken on me, man, it's, it's been exhausting, but I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I love doing this. It's what I, I've dreamt of being a, a basketball coach since I was eight years old. So the opportunity to do it at a special place like South Alabama, and at this level of basketball, is is really special for, for a guy like me coming from Kentucky.
0: So you guys have won two in a row, um, seventeen and eight on this season. What's working well for you guys so far?
1: You know, it's been a it's been a wild year since COVID hit two years ago. It's been um, just crazy. Uh, two years ago, I felt like we were in prime position to have a chance to win it, and we. Um, we were in the semis, and they shut everything down. And then last year, we lost some guys to COVID opt-out, and I felt like we had one of our best teams we've ever had. So this year, coming into it, I was hopeful it, we, we kind of, you know, we're moving in a positive direction with COVID and everything, and it still affected us mid-year. We, we had a couple games that got canceled. Then we had a couple guys that were out. We played with six guys at home against App State earlier in the year. So it's been a grind all year of of things happening and trying to get through that. But we found our way a little bit here late. We hit rock bottom, we went on a road swing. We played at at Troy after we had just beaten them here. And then we went, we lost that one. Then we went to Georgia swing and lost to Georgia Southern and Georgia State, which was, you know, three in a row for us. And it was like, you know, we, we don't do that very often here. And the road swing was brutal for us, so we came back home last week and played arguably the best basketball we played all season. And I feel good about our team going down the stretch run. We got two on the road this weekend, and we got two at home, and then it's a tournament um, 50 minutes down the road in Pensacola.
0: You kind of touched on it, you know, all the COVID nonsense and that, and I was going to get to it later, but seeing how you mentioned it, I mean, this year's has had to have been a little bit more enjoyable than last year with – you know, even the past two years with all shutdowns and stuff like that. Has it been fans back in, things seem a little bit more normal?
1: Yeah, we've, it's actually been pretty normal from a standpoint of we've had normal capacity for the games. We've, um, we've, we've operated normally for the most part. Um, the, the difference is we had a mid-year there, like I was saying before, where, you know, teams were missing a lot of games, and I'm just so thankful and happy that we're finally. It feels like we're kind of past that point now, where you don't see as many games canceled. I and mean, we were there was nights where 25, 30 percent of the games were getting canceled there mid-season. So it, it feels good. We we love our fans down here. We've actually, in the time we've been here, this is year four, our fan base has grown. You know, we've we have really good crowds now. We have really good support. So last year, not having those people with us. Uh, was a disadvantage for us. I mean, this this building can get really loud. You see the picture behind me, That's from when we played Auburn. Um, it can get really loud. We play in a great venue, and our fan base has really grown to love hoops at South Alabama when we're in football country down here.
0: You've got a couple guys averaging just over 16 points a game. Just wanted to chat about them. Charles Manning, Jr., J.J. Chandler, tell me a little bit, you know, I, I know what they are as players, who these guys are off the court, and uh, Manning from LSU, Chandler from Texas A&M. Just talk about how you convinced them to even come to South Alabama as well.
1: Yeah, over the years, we've created a really unique brand in the transfer portal. Uh, I've, I've seen you comment on it before that we were kind of the first ones of the party. And, and so with being that, with being ahead of the curve, we've built some, you know, equity with, with people, you know, they've seen what our guys have been able to do when they've transferred, whether that was a transfer from a power five coming to us, or whether it was a transfer from a lower level transferring up to us, they've, they've been productive. I'll put our production up against any team in, in all of division one. When you look at what transfers have done for, for our program Um, productivity they've had the jump they've had from where they were, when they got, once we got them, um, I put it up against anybody in the country. So those two guys, Charles Manning was a guy that had some some meaningful time at LSU. It's not like he was a guy that set the bench. And J.J. was the same way at Texas a and I mean, they started some games for both of those places. They had double-figure scoring games. So both those guys were recruited really heavy out of the portal. And um, both of them had one year left to play, uh, the COVID year. They got the COVID year back. And they, they both did their homework on who we were as a program, who I am as a head coach. And they saw guys like them, you know, not necessarily just like their game, but guys in their situation with one year to play that we had done such a great job with. They had been able to produce. They'd been able to showcase what they can do. And both those guys made a very educated and smart decision. Um, I, I talk about it all the time when – when you're looking for a specific thing, you know, you don't go to certain doctors if, if that's not the, you know, what's going on with you. It's the same thing with going to play somewhere out of the transfer portal. You know, you don't want to go somewhere where they don't have experience. They can't show you how guys like you have been successful with their program. And and we can obviously do that. And both those guys trusted us. They believed in us. And they have came in and been unbelievable. Uh, they're both great kids. They both have a bright future playing this game. I think they'll play for a long time after they leave here, and um, I, I'm really happy for both of them because, again, they played in the Power Five, they played in the SEC, they played in a lot of meaningful games, but they never got to be the guy, you know, that that is, you know, making those shots down the stretch that can be a leader on the team, it can be an all-league player, and they they've been able to accomplish that here while helping us win a lot of games and, and putting us in a position where we have a chance to, to win a championship.
0: So you touched on, you know, the transfer portal. Of course, I was going to ask you, you know, I was seeing, I think it was John Rothstein tweeting about Forbes over at Wake Forest and he's figured out the transfer portal and he's the genius now. And I'm like, my guy, Richie Riley's been doing that for, for a minute. And so, you know, one, talk about where that philosophy came from because, you know, when you started even at Nichols, Getting like top fifty ESPN guys to get there. um, Where did the thought process come about to be like? You know what? That's where I'm. I'm going to go a little bit heavier in that transfer portal instead of the high school kids.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you uh, recognizing that we we we've worked really hard to create a brand. Um, But for me, it as an assistant when I was an assistant, I always tried to be ahead of the curve of where I felt like recruiting was going, and I felt like that would give our program an advantage if we're ahead, you know, and for a long time, when I was at UAB a junior college, we had like four or five conference USA, all league guys. And they were all from the panhandle of Florida junior college. Um, and that was kind of, and you saw during that time, junior college guys were highly successful. I mean, you looked across the country. It was when a lot of guys end up making it to the NBA from junior college to going to another, to a division one school to the NBA. And that was kind of the wave. And then, Moving forward, I got to Clemson, and I knew with Coach Coach Brownell, we needed in that league in the ACC, we needed to try to get old as quick as we could. And the transfers, there was no portal then, but transfers I felt like was the best way to do that because in the ACC, when you're when you're at Clemson, you've you know you're competing against the Dukes, the Louisvilles, the North Carolinas, that you could name them forever. Um, so many blue blood level programs that are getting those one-and-done type guys. And at Clemson, that's more difficult to do. So you got to find a niche. And we signed three transfers, and that was when you had to sit out still. And they sat out and we worked them out. And, you know, a year later, they go to Sweet 16 with those guys. Um, so I knew when I became a head coach, when I got the Nichols, I knew it was one of the toughest jobs in the country. I mean, we had a $1,000 recruiting budget. It's, it's like unheard of, 1,000. You can't even bring a kid on an official visit. Luckily, I was able to fundraise enough for us to operate um, semi-normal, still still not where you'd like to be, but we were able to, to function. So I knew transfers was the best way for us to be able to get guys that were talented enough at the time to be able to help us have a chance to be in the mix to win the league. And we went out and got Roddy Peters and Tavon Sadler, who – I have a picture of him in my office here. As long as I live, I don't care how long I coach. Whatever the situation is, I'll always have this picture with me because those guys changed my life. Um, they came to Nichols for a first-time head coach. Roddy Peters was a former top-50 guy. It was at Maryland, in South Florida, and then we got him at Nichols. Tavon Sather was an all-league guy at UNC Greensboro. Um, and those guys came, and we had a really good mix, too. I think that's part of it, too. Like, people um, kind of coin us as the – transfer mid-major transfer kings and we have a good mix I've on that Nichols team that won the league Roddy and Tavon were the were the headliners but we started two freshmen that that we evaluated and recruited and they didn't have a division one offer other than us um, so I think you have to have a great mix but that's certainly our brand and then when we got here we had developed that brand people had seen success they had seen that you know we were we were a program that you can come when you're not exactly, you know, happy with your role or you just want to change and you can be productive and you can get better. So when we got here, we, we signed, you know, it's, it's a long list of really good players. I I hate to single anybody out, but it's, it's been our brand this year. Our our top three scores are all sec transfers, Charles Manning, JJ Chandler, Javon Franklin. um, And the list goes on and on again. I don't, I don't know, you know, Muss has done a great job at Arkansas and at Nevada. You know, he's, he's been unbelievable in the portal. I obviously just said Forbes. They're winning with transfers right now. I think everybody in the country's kind of, Auburn has great transfers. But from a whole body of work, uh, we've been doing this for six years since I've been a head coach. I don't know that there's a program in the country that can stack up with the production our guys have had um, that have came out of that portal. Do you even bother recruiting high school anymore? Like, are you still in the gyms, or is it just
0: like, you know what, there's 1, 16 1,700 guys with 50-plus college experience? You know what I mean? Is, is Are you in high school gyms?
1: We do, believe it or not. We take a lot of pride in our high school recruiting um, and junior college recruiting. We recruit everything. Um, I, I think I'm a big believer in their seasons. Um, you know, it's kind of like in the spring is – Typically now in 2022 in the landscape of college basketball, that's where the transfers are prevalent. You know they enter the portal. You've you've seen what your team is. You see what you need to go out and get to help you be better next year, um, and you know your roster. So in the spring, it's pretty much you're locked in on on a transfer unless there's a special situation with a high school kid that maybe decommits somewhere or there's a coaching you know something like that. But in the fall and in the summer, we work relentlessly on, on evaluating and trying to go get those high school guys that may be a diamond in the rough or maybe in it regionally that, that really fits what we're doing. And this year we signed two really, really good players. Jamar Franklin out of Florida. He plays at Most Spates Academy. Um, really good player, I think. They, I, I mean, I think we got to steal, and I feel the same way about Julian Margrave, um, prep school kid from up in the northeast. He's originally from a little bitty town in Kansas, six ten, stretch four, um, and I think both those guys, if they were available now, man, it would be it'd be a dogfight. So we did a really good job of identifying and evaluating those guys. And like I said, every year we usually start a freshman. Um, with all the transfers we have, because I think it's so important to have a great mix. You can't have a team full of transfers, especially um, with one year left to play. It just doesn't work like that. And I don't think in today's climate you can have a team full of young kids. I think you have a, I think you have to have a great mix of young guys within your program that you think can be really good. And the transfers that you bring in can be impact guys and you allow those young guys to continue to develop and continue to get better. And eventually those guys are the older guys in your program. So that's kind of how we try to do it. Uh, we, we, we don't discriminate against any of it. JUCO, high school, transfers. And we, we recruit transfers from Division One, Division Two, NAI. Um, we, we really work hard to evaluate and understand everything that's out there. And being able to decipher exactly what we need and who fits us. And, you know, there is no clear-cut thing for that. You just got to do your work and, and do your best to figure out, figure out those guys and, and try to not miss too much. I think as coaches we all miss from time to time, but you don't you want to try to not miss very often.
0: It's funny, I had a conversation earlier, about an hour ago, with Casey Alexander, the Belmont head coach. No transfers at all on his roster. So almost the exact, you know, opposite end of the spectrum on that.
1: Well, he's a he's a heck of a ball coach, man. Their program is one of the elite programs in the country, period. And and I think I think it's to each its own, and I think each situation is different. Um, Belmont, with what they are, with what they've been, they have a brand of their own, and it's not. I lost you there a little bit of a
0: lag on the uh, the stream there. So, um, so speaking of success elsewhere, you know, you've had a great run over the you know both at Nichols and here at South Alabama. Your name starting to be mentioned in other jobs. I know your your name was in the mix for the Utah State head coaching position last year. Just talk to me about what that conversation is like with the wife, Jess. I know you got a couple of young kids, and when when the phone rings, um, what's the, what's the conversation like with the wife and family?
1: <laughs> hey, I'm very fortunate. My wife is a basketball coach. When we met, um, we we met. we were both. NAI assistant. She was at Pikeville and I was at Pikeville. So that's how we met. So she understands and has a really good pulse on, on the profession that we're in. Um, I love South Alabama. This was a job that I, I wanted to be at for a long, long time. And I'm fortunate to be here. Um, uh, the spring always brings, you know, a lot of activity, especially in today's age with social media and, there, there are, you know, there, everything is out there, you know, whether it's true, false, or indefinite, you know, but she, she handles it really well. I've, I've moved her all over the place since we got married. We've been married 12 years. It'll be 12 years this summer. And um, we've lived in South Carolina, I guess, twice at Coastal Carolina, one time at Clemson, one time, and then we were at Eastern Kentucky. We were at, UAB. This is our second time in Alabama. And now we're in Mobile. And then in between there, we were in Thibodeau, Louisiana. So she, she's unbelievable. She's, she's the head coach of her house. She takes care of those boys. We got three young ones and she's, her support level for me is, is, is really special. So she, she handles it really well. She, she does keep up with it though. Like she knows everything going on and, in that cycle, you know, when you, when it starts hitting social media and this and that, and she'll tell me stuff, you know, she'll see my name somewhere or, or this or that. I won't have a clue, you know, I don't, I don't know, but so she, she's a hoops junkie too. And I, to be honest, I don't know that I could have married anybody that wasn't. So I'm, I'm thankful that, that she is, she is, she's a hoops junkie. We watch games together. After game, she's talking about what we could have done better, what we what we did well. So we we have a special relationship that way, and it's something that I treasure and I'm really thankful for. Well, we'll see how much she loves you if Buffalo comes calling. Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> everywhere you mention
1: is is south, you know,
0: warm. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: she. We've never been we've never been out of this area. Um, we have been in some. I remember when we went to interview at Nichols. We went down there, man, and. She didn't really think there was any chance that we would actually do it. She knew I was really hungry to be a head coach, and she didn't know if they would offer me the job, number one, and she didn't really think we would go, number two. And we drove down from Clemson, and we entered right there on the outskirts of town, and it was all swamps. On each side of the road, we're driving this swamp, swamp. And she's like, it's like in a foreign country for her. And me, too. I had never been anywhere like that. So when we did it, she was, like, shocked. So the culture shock of, of Louisiana, especially Thibodeau, you know, it's Cajun country, man. But you know what about places that are different and places that I never dreamt that I would live and she didn't either? Is sometimes it, it's a true blessing as you go. And the people down there in Thibodeau, Louisiana, were the best people I've ever met in my life. I still am great friends with a, with a ton of people there. And that was a special time for us. We had our second child. Rock was born down there in Thibodeau. And you don't know. In, in this profession, it takes you all over the place, and you have no clue who you're going to come across It could be some of your best friends ever. The, the moments of joy that you have that you never see coming. And that's the beauty of our profession. You don't know... Year year in and year out, you don't know where you may be, but it's all an adventure. And if you, as long as you're with somebody that you love, like my wife, and as long as you got three great young kids, the the ride is the funnest part. You uh, you didn't pull the Brian Kelly move and, and turn on the Louisiana accent to
0: get that Nichols job. Did you, was that was at the uh,
1: <laughs> the Lynchpin. It. <laughs> it's funny you say that. My my video coordinator here is Brian Kelly's nephew. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so we were like, we were dying laughing at, you know, they had all those Twitter videos of, you know, kind of giving me a hard time about how he was talking uh, (laughs) at that basketball game. But no, I I didn't. I don't, I don't have that strong Cajun accent. I I got a country accent on my own. I think it's, it's Eastern Kentucky accent. So I don't know that I can have any others. I think that's just what I'm going to be all the time.
0: So speaking of Eastern Kentucky, you played a season under Travis Ford um, at Eastern Kentucky. What'd you learn playing under him that one season?
1: I was I was part of the team. I don't know how much I played. I played very little. I was on the team. Um, Coach Ford was, was nice enough to let me be a walk-on, a preferred walk-on, um, and it, it was my dream to play Division One basketball some way, shape, or form. I knew that I wasn't going to get a scholarship at a Division One school, but and I also knew that I wanted to coach. I I was realistic to know I wasn't going to be a pro basketball player, that I wanted to coach basketball. And Coach Ford, I knew he would have an incredible future in this profession, and he let me walk on. And, and I learned so much. The staff there, we had a, we had a great staff. Uh, coach Ford was obviously the head coach. Two of the assistants on that staff, John Brandon was one of them who – was the head coach at Northern Kentucky and in Cincinnati. And then Chad Dollar, who's been an assistant, um, Aaron George, LSU, he's assistant Cincinnati. Now Um, those guys were on staff. So I learned a lot as an 18 year old kid, because I was embracing the coaching side then more than the playing side. I knew I wasn't going to play very much. So those, those assistants would let me sit in on some film sessions and, talk about basketball with them. And in practice, I would kind of just embrace trying to help guys be in the right spots and know the plays. And so I, I got a taste of college basketball at, at 18 as a walk on at Eastern Kentucky. And it's um, I learned some lessons and learned some things that that I still carry with me today.
0: So the Sun Belt, I mean, it's one of the I mean, the, the parity in this conference, top to bottom, like literally, you know, when I'm going through predictions, who's going to win this? I mean, it is probably one of, if not the toughest conferences this year to predict who's going to come out of it, because there's eight, nine teams that can win. Just talk about the challenges of, you know, that much parity every single night where it doesn't matter what the record of the team is. You got to you got to show up to play.
1: It's an absolute monster. It, it's as tough a one bid league as there is in the country. There's incredible coaching. The talent level in our league is really good. Um, It's hard night in and night out. There are no games where you get a night off where you just show up. And if, you know, you play, okay, you know that you're going to win. You have to play at a high level, every single game in this league, or you're not going to win. You're not gonna have a chance to win. Winning on the road in this league is, is so hard. And, the tournament is is going to be incredible because like you said there's there's so many teams that can win it we're going down the stretch here and each team has four games left and there's still four to five teams in contention to win the regular season like it's it's tight you know and that's it's hard man these one bid leagues i talk about it all the time they are hard hard and not, not saying that the other multi-bid leagues aren't hard. Every every league has its own challenges and it's hard. But when you go into every season knowing only one team out of this league with so many good teams is going to get to go to the NCAA tournament, it makes it really tough. Um, but it, I, I love to compete. And I love hoops more than anything outside of my family and faith. And I love to compete. So it's it's been fun for me. Uh, the challenge of of you know having to go through the tough schedule that we have in our league, the great coaching, and it's it's been fun. But only one of us can go to the NCAA tournament. Only one of us can be the regular season champion. So it's go, it's going to be a battle down the stretch. But again, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and and I know my my team is too. Um, we got a lot. We got three or four guys as our last go around in college basketball, and they want to want to have a special ending. So I know our focus level is good and I'm excited about the challenge.
0: You know, one of the teams that not necessarily in that mix of eight or nine who could win it, but I was watching you guys run over Little Rock, Arkansas last week, watch most of that game and Daryl Walker, their head coach. See, for me, you know, I'm in Toronto. Daryl used to be the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. So to me, like Daryl Walker is like up here. You know, I've tried reaching out to interview him. He's, You know, I, I've got a few no's on that because I'm like, hey, this is, guy's the Raptors head coach. So tell me a little bit about, you know, Daryl, what you know about him coaching against some kind of guysy. I said,
1: I'm going to see if I can do you a solid and get you an interview with D Walk. Hey, yeah. Yeah, we need to Take set that still, up. Yeah. <laughs> I love him. He's a great guy. He's a great basketball coach. Um, he's always went out of his way. You know, I'm the youngest coach in our league and he's always went out of his way to at the conference meetings or when we play to, um, to build a relationship and, you know, talk to me. I always ask him a million questions. I ask him about his playing days, his coaching days in the NBA, um, advice that he might have, and he's always went out of his way to, to take time and talk about whatever I'm trying to ask him. So he, I've I really enjoyed getting to know him. Um, I've enjoyed it. I, I ask him the the question that I always argue about who's who's the GOAT and obviously he's going with Jordan like no question he played with Jordan and he that's you know and I always argue LeBron so we we have that little argument ongoing debate but he's he's done a great job there they won our regular season a couple of years ago and we finished second and I felt like we were on a we were we were destined to play in the finals in New Orleans that year. Um, if COVID didn't shut it down. He's done a really good job. This year they've had some injuries and it hasn't been a great year for them, but he he's a heck of a ball coach and, and a really good person.
0: All right. I'll I'll keep you. I'll text you a couple times to. We'll see if, yeah. see if I can make it happen. I'm going to see if
1: I can make it happen.
0: And Richie, you know, thankful for your time here. You give me enough time. Your last question. So, you know, we're about two weeks away from conference tournament. I mean, what are some of the key contributing factors that you're going to have to focus on to get South Alabama, you know, through this Sundell Conference Tournament into March Madness?
1: Yeah, for our team, it always starts defensively with our energy and effort. When we've been really good defensively and we've been locked in, we've we played really well. You know, you go back there last last two games, um, we averaged giving up 48 points and we scored mid 70s, you know, and defensively starts everything for us because we're, we're very good in transition offensively playing fast, getting out transition threes, attacking the rim, spraying that ball around, sharing it. That's when we're at our best. So it starts defensively with our ability to create turnovers, with our ability to string stops together and get clean rebounds and get out and push. Um, so defending and rebounding is, is the most important thing for this team. And I came with something a little, a little while ago, and our guys didn't even know what this was. It was hilarious. So I said our keys, it starts with DVR. And I was like, you guys know what DVR is? And some of them were like, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I was like, that means you, re- you can record it and watch it over, right? So I said, we've got to have DVR so that our performance is worth somebody wanting to watch it again. And DVR stood for defend, value, and rebound. You know, So if we do those three things, if we defend at a high level, we value the ball, and we our turnovers are low and then we rebound the ball to high level defensively and offensively, then we're worth watching again because we probably win and it's a fun game. And it's kind of stuck with us. It was, you know, probably corny. My wife would say it was corny, but the guys kind of could grasp a hold of it once they understood what DVR meant. So, so that's the key, our value offensively, um, ball movement, player movement. And then, then our ability to defend at a high level and rebound. If we do those things, then then I think we can be in position to have a chance to beat anybody.
0: Well, Richie, you know, always thank you so much for your time. Blessed, you know, that you allow me to do this, you know, once, twice a year. And, I enjoy it uh, every
1: time, brother. I really do. I, and I appreciate you. I thank you for, you know, again, when we're at Nagel State. You were one of the first people to reach out to me. And again, half the people didn't even know we had <laughs> there was a team down there. So I really appreciate you and, this this is an annual thing we got to make sure we do it every year
0: absolutely yeah you know i'm always rooting for you up here in toronto canada sitting watching so you know let's go jags i appreciate you brother we'll talk soon the undrafted freeagent.com mid-major podcast with your host chris mckee there's samuel with the steal. get your phones out tyree samuel posterizes alex nawaga come on now Lugans oh my! Brozdikas with another steal. Spots up for three this time and drains it. Ignis Brozdikas, electric first step, blows by everyone. Kobe Elvis, he's got them all shook up. Keyshawn for three, and there it is. Keyshawn Bartholomew, you don't want to let him heat up. All day, Kyler Filowicz, they can't stop him. Moncrie Sneaks in the back door, hammers it down. Matthew Alexander Moncrie,
1: ooh!